Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 472, and it's a bonus episode. It's Friday, and here I am. I've given you three podcasts this week. Come on, I've given you Tell Me About It. I've given you the Wednesday Distraction Pieces with George Mackay, and now I'm here with Babak Anvari for a Friday bonus Distraction Pieces podcast. This was another amazing chat, and there's some weird kind of twists of fate and fortune in here. Me and Babak, in fact, have worked together before and I had no idea, but we'll get to that. Babak is a director, a writer and director I'm a big fan of and producer now. Under the Shadows is a really amazing horror film. I believe that's also on Netflix, but I Came By is his new film on Netflix. So yeah, this is you're getting three podcasts this week and a load of things to watch on Netflix. So that's beautiful. But yeah, I was excited to have this chat. It's a proper inspirational chat too about process and about telling the stories that, that you need to tell so um obviously we're brought to you as ever by speech where you can buy merch patreon.com forward slash scroobius pip where you can support the podcast and twitch.tv forward slash scroobius pip yo where you can get involved in all my nonsense but i'm going to keep that brief let's g- get into the chat i mean you've heard enough of me this week you're going to hear more of me now but it's going to i'm going to be joined by the wonderful babak and vari Right, I'm here today with Babak and Vari. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you. We're obviously here to talk about your new film, I Came By. And as a former graffiti artist, I have a a lot I want to discuss with you Uh about it. No, it's all good. (laughs) Um, But I also want to discuss your first film, Under the Shadows, as I'm a big fan of that. But let's kind of start by discussing how you and I came into contact with each other, because it's kind of a... A uniquely personal one. I was tweeting. I think I was tweeting about under under the sh- shadows, maybe. Yeah. And we ended up DMing, and you revealed that we've got a past I didn't really know about. I know. I was just telling the team here. I think maybe I can't remember. It was back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You were doing a gig at Wireless Festival in Hyde yeah. Park, and I was working at MTV at that point, and I was part of the team that were like filming you on stage. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, it's so cool. Probably have no idea who I am because there's, like, so many people you had to deal with. But, yes, yeah. yeah, so I filmed you back in 2009, 2010. It was fun. And then when you revealed that in our DM, I then f- fanboyed out because that was mad that we've got that that yeah. past in history. But I, I remember that gig really well because we got asked to sign a waiver because Wireless that year had a lot of, of grime acts on. And we had w- one song that was seen as kind of an attack on grime and it wasn't it was just saying that desi came out and smashed it and then a lot of people did really similar sounding stuff and you need to push the boundaries a bit but they were worried it was going to cause a riot so we had to sign a waiver to say that if we got hurt (laughs) we wouldn't we wouldn't hold them responsible if we chose to play that song and we played it and it was fine Fine. but yeah yeah that that, i clearly i didn't know that i i i it was in a tent i don't know if you remember yeah 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 I, yeah, that's crazy. That do you know which year that was? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was around when you're saying. I'd say maybe even 2008 or 2009. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Definitely. It was it was that kind of era. So, um, 
What a small world, eh? Yeah. So, uh, what was your journey from from MTV to the big screen as such? Because <laughs> I find that fascinating. Now, what was your journey into MTV? I guess was film and TV always your your goal? Yeah. I mean, I I've been a film nerd. I keep calling myself since I was a kid. Like, I think I I was like one of those lucky ones that age 10, 11, I knew I want to become a filmmaker. And, um, you know, I grew up in Tehran and Iran and then left when I was around 18, came over here, went to University of Westminster, who our lovely sound guy here is also graduated from, and I know him from back in the days. It's such Amazing. a small world. Yeah, I love uh, that stuff. And so I did film and TV there, film and TV production. And after I graduated, always uh, making movies was always the number one goal. After I graduated, did bits and bobs in the industry as runner as a runner and like really really bad films but uh you know it's just paid it paying the bills and like learning i guess how the industry works then i landed a job at mtv as a video editor and you know i worked there for eight years but it was a it was that place was so funny because at the beginning they were still doing music related stuff uh the first four years that i joined and then halfway through you know, they realized that they want to outsource everything and focus mainly on the reality TV show stuff, which then ended up being less fun. But um, yeah, I the, got... f- the first the first half of our career, w- w- we had places to go on TV and do stuff. And the this, this second half, it was radio only. Because as you say, all of those shows, just your gonzos, all these other things just Gone. went. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that was actually, I think we filmed uh, Wireless as part of, uh, we the, this franchise started that was like a bunch of us who called it, at, at first it was like spanking new sessions and then it was it ended up being MTV live sessions and I ended up being one of the directors with, it was like five of us doing it with, you know, yeah. and then it wasn't really live, we were like film uh, performance, I mean, except for festivals, which we filmed you, um, usually yeah. we used to bring artists in our studio and like, do two, three takes with the number of cameras, then go and edit it. Like, uh, I think we did like Lady Gaga's very first UK performance in the studio. And so it was fun. And then they stopped at brackets. Doing that really taught me a lot, just being a video editor. And like, to this day, you know, that's one thing my producing partner always says that is like, it's so great that you have an editor's mind because, you know, when we're like up against it, I can, uh, you know, I can immediately hope, usually tell, like, if I get this shot and this shot, then I have a scene. And um, we've got it. Yeah. yeah. So that was helpful. But then as I was at MTV, I started making short films, you know, uh, using some of the facilities and the support there. And I made a short film in 2010, two and two. Uh, it's on YouTube. Everyone can watch it. Um, and it sort of like went to festivals and then got nominated for a BAFTA. And that kind of opened doors in a sense that I signed up with my UK agent over here. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, but then I remember the first day I met my agent, I was like, right, so what am I doing? It's like, okay, don't quit your day job yet. <laughs> yeah. so, so I carried on working at MTV whilst start, you know, writing the script for Under the Shadow. And that was another funny conversation with my agent because he was like, okay, what, what you got? And I said, I have this idea of a Farsi language horror film set in 80s Tehran I never forget he said are you mad Uh, and I was like yeah I want want this to be my first feature I can completely imagine that kind of it's going well Babak don't 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 ruin it don't don't (laughs) erase all the goodwill with this madness but I 
it, it, it was funny because, uh, you know, he said put it on, maybe like sit on it for a bit and then revisit it after he'd done a few films. I was like, no, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a type of film that I knew it had to be my first film. So I was writing the script whilst working at MTV at the same time, like in the evenings and weekends, you know. And then, then we went out and I met a dozen of producers here in the UK. And almost all of them, when they heard that it's going to be in 4C, they, they said, ooh, respectfully, we can't risk that. And I found my current producing partner. I met him on Under the Shadow because him and his partners at the time were mad enough to go for it. And they managed to hustle the money. And when I shot it, very low budget. But as you know, then that film did well, won, won a number of awards, including a BAFTA, which then paved the way. I now got American reps and whatnot. And here we are. And also a- another interesting thing, my relationship with Netflix started then and there. It was like, it was really early days of Netflix, like right around the time Under the Shadow came, they started like acquiring films, like buying them for distribution. Yeah. And they bought Under the Shadow on the night it was being premiered uh, at Sundance. So I arrived at wow. Sundance. Everyone was like, oh, this is, the, this is that film that Netflix bought. So that's perfect, right? And again, yeah. Netflix are, are, are wonderful for that because they've got a global outlook. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not just English language centric or, no. or UK centric. It's getting better and better now that their biggest hits, TV wise, have been foreign Spanish language. and, yeah, have been f- foreign language in general. So yeah. I think that's a really exciting thing about the, the world that Netflix puts out there. And there's obviously people in the industry will talk at all the positives and negatives, but. That's 100% a positive. And, and speaking of positives, hearing your story of getting under the sh- a shadow made is inspirational. Oh, and, and, and to go podcast aside, it's exactly what I needed to hear at the moment. I've got a script at the moment that I'm doing my agent's head in because I'm getting great feedback on other scripts. But I'm like, no, but th- this has to be my first one. I know this now. Yeah, and my inspiration, I keep going back to mentally, has been... But, Boots Riley with, uh, sorry to, to, to bother Body, you, yeah. him saying, I remember talking to him again, how the fuck did you make that as your debut film? Because it's so bonkers. It's like, how can, you'd expect that to be, you've got a couple of films under your belt and then then they trust you. And his answer was, I wasn't looking to make films. I was l- l- looking to make th- that film. Yeah. So it, it wasn't an option. And, and that sounds exactly the same there with uh, Under the sh- uh, uh, Shadow that, You'd got this hype, you'd won awards, and the natural thing would be, as you said, your, your, your agent to go, well, maybe that's your third or fourth film. Yeah. Once, when, once we've got we've got sh- short film hype, and we've not got feature film hype yet. Let's not get get, get carried away. But yeah, I love that that you were like, no, no, this is it. This has to be it. So let's talk about that a little bit because what I love about your stuff is that you have clearly kind of chosen or you've got an eye and a passion for horror as a a genre, but for now at least, you're really experimental with the settings and situations in which you place that horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And Under the Shadow, as you say, is a horror set in post-revolution, war-torn 80s Tehran. And it's amazing because you get to... Embed and it, I mean, we'll talk about it in I Came By as well, but you get to embed political and social commentary, but you don't lose yourself in that as mm. such. It's it's not a political and social commentary film. that That's in there, but it's very much a horror. Yeah. So how was that to, to work on once you f- f- found these mad producers who are going <laughs> to back you? How was it? to get that made because that must have been again you 
probably hold a unique kind of um, experience of, gr- of growing up in Tehran yeah. until 18. So old enough to know the area a bit, old enough to know the land and obviously relatives and whatnot. But then you've spent the rest of the time almost since then embedded in, in the UK yeah. film industry. It, so it, it sits perfectly, right? It's exactly that. It's so funny. I always say that, you know, I, I, all of my childhood and teenage years were in Iran and all of my adult life has been in, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was fascinating because when I once I started working, I remember my agent saying, oh, these are these um, young producers. Again, Luke and Toe, who's the, producer and I came by, I met Lucian on Under the Shadow and now we're partners. Uh, we have our production company called Two and Two, which is the name of my short film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, we got a tiniest grant from Doha Film Institute to help us with the development side of uh, Under the Shadow. But, you know, I was writing that part time and they managed to find it. It was like totally, except for the, the tiny Doha money, it was all like basically uh, sort of privately funded, but it was a very amazing. It, it was very low budget, and we went and shot it in Jordan because obviously there were limitations to go and shoot it in Iran. Uh, so we went yeah. and shot it in Jordan, which, by the way, was an amazing place to recreate eighties Tehran. And um, yeah. we, we did it there. So the money, so it was a slight. There's more, a little bit more that we got out of our bucks, you know, out of our money when we shot in Jordan. But uh, it was, you know, it was crazy shoot and. You know, with a child actor who never acted before. You know, yeah. um, um, I swear s- some of the best performances in film history are child actors definitely. who've never acted b- before because of the simple reason that they don't act, it's, and that's and that's that's w- w- what you want. There's a casting director, Des Hamilton, who I yeah. I love dearly, and I always say I've, I love him dearly, but I've never had a good cut. Co- casting with him for some reason mm. i never or i never come out feeling i've done good but his note is often just he's like pip mm. go again but stop fucking acting and, and 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 that's how i got into the industry was i got roles because i wasn't classically trained actor so yeah it's a it's a powerful thing and the fall is one of my favorite films of all time and the child acting in that is Love just that. it's next next level and then uh the Coca trilogy, as, yeah. as an example, again as well. It's like I don't know how much of that was scripted, and mm. if that kid knew he was in a film because he's so naturally just doing what he's trying to do, and it's it's a beautiful thing. So was <laughs> again ignoring the old adage of never work with children or animals. Was there an excitement there in getting that truth and rawness from a child non-actor as such? It was it was very exciting. And like you said, I think when you find the right child, they have this sort of untapped imagination. And like w- once they trust you, they give it all. And yeah. um, people were like, oh, uh, don't work with children, don't work with animals. My shorts, <laughs> two and two, uh, it's set in a classroom and they're like t- t- 12 children there. So I was like, that was like my calling card. I was I worked with 12 of them on a short. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I know how to how to get the performance out of children. And it's to be honest with you, like for instance, when I was like rehearsing with Alvin, who plays the kid in Under the Shadow, we never like went through the script or anything. It was just we started doing role-playing games. Like I was like, I'll be the big bat wolf, uh, you be three little pigs. And like getting her trust like that and like the Lovely. doing the make-believe so that when it came to the filming, I was like, well, you know, we're doing that really but it's just loads of people going to be standing around quietly staring at you <laughs> and camera yeah. filming you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, no, she was this raw talent. And, you know, she ended up winning uh, Biffa for her performance, British Independent Film Award. Yeah. Uh, which it was very charming. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was fun. And it was, like, challenging. But, you know, I think when you get into this industry, I guess in any creative industry, like film and TV, because you need finance and that financial support. I don't know. Part of me thinks that you need to either have a thick skin or be slightly masochistic <laughs> because, yeah. or a, a mixture of both because all these challenges are, that's what drives one, as you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. I love it. I've, I've, I've talked to a few friends recently and I won't name the production on this, but there's a production that's just about to start a TV show that was already at the top of my I'd love to be involved list. Mm. And then it was announced it's shooting in the ice and snow and it went through the roof because I was like, brilliant. I want to be that <laughs> that masochistic side of going, I want to put myself through that and yeah. be and and find this and be and be involved. So as soon as, as you were saying, you either have to yeah, have thick skin or be a bit masochistic. It's like, yep, hundred percent. But that's again, it's you see these great legendary things. Like the easy example is the Revenant because it's yeah. so documented what they all went through in that. And if you don't want to be part of that, then I don't know. I, I can't relate at all. I you you've got to see stuff like that. Go, oh man, that's going to have been a horrible few months. Yeah, but wow, but look what they did and 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 how much it was worth it touring life like you've seen people are you've filmed bands and seen the state of people in touring life and how damaging it can be to your health your mental health all these things but then you do these performances and it makes it all worthwhile and in a way all the shit that comes before that only adds to it so for sure yeah the sheer ecstasy it's a weird world isn't it yeah, I must say, you know, like talking about like something like Revenant, I mean, the conditions were extreme, but yeah. even you take that, uh, you, you pull that out of equation. The, the thing is that filmmaking in general is a bit stressful because you have a certain amount of money, no matter even on the biggest budget films, and you need to be fiscally responsible, yet being very creative and think out of the box and make the date. You know, and then everything goes wrong. Like, that that's the thing that I learned that, like, you need to plan, 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 because once you start shooting, everything goes wrong. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and it actually goes well. You go, yes, um, double tick. But if you're prepared, then you're not going to panic and you can, like, still steer the ship through the chaos. But again, that's going back to that whole masochistic side. You need to, you know, yeah. have you feel, have you seen, um, uh, Ron Howard's Rush, uh, the race car drivers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's the the character which is based on a real uh, race car uh, drive. I I don't know them, but it's be- uh, played by Chris Hemsworth. Uh, yes, uh, and before every race in that film, he pukes. <laughs> And I was watching that film and it was like, oh, is he okay? It was like, no, 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 he does it before every race because of the the stress and the adrenaline rush. And I was like, I know exactly that feeling. It's like yeah. literally the day before like principal photography, <laughs> I feel yeah. like that. On every, yeah. like I've, I've done three films on every film. And even when you get like greenlit, you go, uh, <laughs> like uh, shit, uh, it's happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a scary thing. I, yeah. I completely relate to that because all of these, there's no pressure on these ideas when they're ideas. Yeah, but when someone puts their money into it, then it's like, right, I need to. Can I do this? Yeah, exactly. I, I could think of it. I could think of it, and it's amazing. <laughs> but can I actually do this? But it's one of the reasons I'm a big believer in people taking up any kind of apprenticeship or placements 
in the film and TV mm. industry. And there's more and more. The BBC do loads of amazing ones. Yep. Netflix have got an amazing one on the at the moment, uh, fronted by um, Bisher um, and, and numerous others. I think those things are so important because the reason you can deliver under that insane pressure or one of the contributing factors will have been your experience in in various areas across TV and film. So whether it's cameraman, editing, you know, producing or whatever else, you've got those extra angles and the extra visions so you can balance the artist and the person who wants to actually deliver a film yeah you know and 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 that's two things that really need to be balanced it's a it's a tough one so so yeah was that exciting when you completed under the shadow and found out you could do this because i'm sure there was moments of i'm not sure I, 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 i was over the moon and i think on the very the very last night of that shoot it was really stressful and I was like, it was like 3 a.m. And I was like, I don't know if we can complete the, the film. Yeah. And we did. Look, I don't know, some force, you know, like suddenly things started working out and we managed to motor through it. But I remember I was like standing in the garden of the house we were shooting and I was so stressed. And the sound guy of the film came and put his arm around me and said, I know you're stressed, but don't forget this moment. This is a special moment. You're on the set of your first feature mm-hmm. and it that really brought mm-hmm. me back to reality i was like yeah i should be grateful like i know it's stressful but like this is insane that like, yeah. i'm making my first feature and i didn't even know how it's gonna be sort of received at that point you know we're still filming it uh yeah. but i don't i never forget that special moment because you know yes it is stressful and you are under a lot of pressure but there is something magical about like you think of an idea you cook it up in your head and you see it and then suddenly <laughs> you have like an army of people helping you to to bring it to life you know it, it, you know i guess that's where the payoff is like you know yeah, um, yeah it's, i love that though cuz i think all industries you fight for a big part of your career to get into them yeah. and then once you're into them you have all the pressures of 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 the industry and you can start to t- to take it for granted and so i love that person kind of taking you aside and going how dope is this yeah. i know this is stressful and you're tired and this is all horrible but Mate, we're making a film. Exactly. <laughs> this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. There was a, a director I worked with on a, t- a TV show for the BBC, and before every sh- take or, or or every setup, at least, he'd say, "Let's make a cinematic history or let's make t- yeah. a TV history." Okay. And it was so stupid and over the top, but I l- I loved it because he's. I'd talk to him about it. He go, "No, it's what we're doing every time. Every time we do this, we're put, we're adding something t- to the history of." Of television, picture, how, yeah. how amazing is that? And it was such a good. Everyone had rolled their eyes a bit, and it'd be this eccentric <laughs> guy just as, as saying this. But I was like, no, that's fucking. That's the attitude to keep and to hold as best you can. Definitely, I think Tarantino does that as well. Before each uh, setup, he goes like, like something like, I've seen videos of him. Why are we here? Because we love making movies, and he makes everyone to yeah. scream that. But also, <laughs> you see, like the funny thing is that, yeah, like you said, it's like a lot of crew members are like they're tired. Yeah. I was like, oh my yeah. god, give me a break. Do I need to do this? But I think it does something. I don't know. It's just like it's an important a reminder. Well, obviously, we're kind of halfway through already, and I've, we've not even touched upon our came by. So we will get to that. But on the way through. I didn't catch w- wounds, but um, I'm a big fan of, of Zazie. 
beats and i'll be definitely giving it a look can you tell me a little bit about it on just briefly and, th- and then we'll move on to what we're here to talk about i promise we've got all excited and carried away on numerous other subjects but no worries uh yeah wounds uh was a film i made with annapurna my first experience in america and yeah. New Orleans, it's so funny because over here, everyone was like, you know, just once you make a Sundance film, the studios and production companies in Hollywood are going to take you around and you're going to get bombarded with offers. Just be very mindful because they also like, you can't get chewed up and spat out. Yeah, so I was like very careful not to jump on something massive. So Wounds luckily was like a manageable budget, but you know, it was a very sort of like being honest, it was quite a stressful sort of process. Uh, but yeah. um, I had a wonderful experience of working with Zazie Beats, who she's lovely and uh, very talented. And I will work with her uh, in a heartbeat again. And, you know, it was, a, it's a, it was a sort of a horror film set in New Orleans based on a short story by my friend Nathan Ballingroot, who's a wonderful horror writer. And then we, me and my producing partner took his some of his other shorts and turn it into a TV show again with Annapurna. Uh, that was for Hulu. It called Monsterland, which yes, again, I, I saw l- a couple of them. I saw a yeah. couple of them while I was filming in Canada because um, I was working with a few, a few people who were involved in, because it was a different story each episode, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I saw, I was, I was working with a few people who were involved in different episodes and yeah. Now, I, yeah. So we, uh, I was an EP and I directed the very last episode and it was, that was also a huge learning uh, curve because you know that was my first TV and like helping the showrunner Mary Laws to put it together and like and also I stayed to help her edit uh, the episodes you know just being there I also was like this is the closest I get to be- being like an HOD on a yeah. uh, 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 because you know I was there to support her and give her advice and have her back but then ultimately she was the showrunner and. It was her vision yeah. and I was backing her vision. So it was it was a great, again, like learning curve, being on the back seat, just observing and learning, you know, and TV is his own beast as well. So that happened and then the pandemic hit. But then in the meantime, I I came by was in development. So I, I came right. by, it was meant to be my first feature. I came up right. with the idea back at uni, you know, 20 years ago. I wrote it down in my notebook. Uh, I thought at that point, it was a very simple idea. And I thought, it's contained thriller. I can do it as a first feature. But obviously, I went down a different path, ended up doing Under the Shadow, because Under the Shadow came to me. And I was like, this, like you said, I was that naivety. Like, no, this is my first feature. So I did Under the Shadow and then had a meeting with Film 4. And it was like, what what you got? Like, we would love to work with you. And I went and revisited my notebook. Never throw your ideas away, man. Like, yeah. uh, I suddenly came across it. It was one page. And I went and pitched it to Film 4. And they were like, we love it. We want to develop this. So that's how it started. We, we started developing I Came By. And it took, from the moment we started until uh, it started shooting, it was five years. So it was like five years in development. And in the middle, I went off to do Wounds and Monsterland. So Namzi Khan, wonderful Namzi Khan, the co-writer, jumped in. I did the first few drafts, then she jumped on and, you know, starting uh, work on it whilst I was doing the other projects. And then I came back to it and did the final rewrite and and we were ready to go. And then Netflix at that point, then Netflix came on board and, you know, fully financed it and now distributing it, which 
It's a blessing. So yeah, it's so funny that I thought it's going to be my first film. I'm so glad though, you know, Under the Shadow is my first film and I had like enough time to, because when I came up with the idea, I was like, you know, very young and angry and, you know, sort of rebellious, like some of the main characters in the film. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a bit of me in them and there's a bit of like some of my close friends from uni. But, you know, as I aged, I realized real world is more complicated <laughs> than, you know, yeah. I used to see it in my early 20s. So that helped me to be able to layer it a bit more and all that jazz. Yeah. That's what I loved about the uh, lead character in particular because, again, as a <laughs> a teenage a graffiti artist, completely related to all the absolute angst and anger mm. and then the underlying thing of you're not really sure what – you don't really understand completely what you're angsty and angry about. It's kind of, um, fuck the man, first things first. <laughs> Not hundred percent sure who the who the man is. Who the man is, but um, <laughs> you, you know. And again, I, I think that that came across great. So to kind of explain, it's a horror film again that's kind of set in the current political, social, and class battle that that um, is everywhere. But again, it it's a weird one to, uh, to discuss because there were a lot of twists and turns yeah. that I was I wasn't expecting. So <laughs> right. I don't want to discuss it too much. Um, and and spoil them. But I guess what was that initial one-page idea that you, you kind of came up with? And yeah, and how did it all develop? So basically, originally, the main character is my, uh, like Toby, played by George mm. McCart. Like It was meant to be a photographer because being a film nerd, being a film school, I was obsessed with Antonioni's blow-up. And, you know, the Ed yeah. character played by Ed Hemming, uh, he's a fashion photographer. Yeah. And he's a bit of a rebel without a cause. He doesn't know what he wants in his life and then finds himself in this situation that's kind of like makes him question his reality. So I was like, oh, yeah, photographer. But it was always the idea was that like it's a young rebel without a cause, some kind of an artist. And, you know, he has that f fuck the system, fuck the man sort of like yeah. uh, thing in his head that doesn't know why but he just needs an outlet for his anger but then he suddenly finds himself in this extraordinary situation like very Hitchcockian that like it's like oh my god like what am I going to do now I need to do something and but then later when I revisited it I was like yeah you know it needs to be something more transgressive like so I was like well what if what if him and his friends are, are, are a graffiti crew and like they they actually take it one step too far with you know uh, like and like actually physically break into the the homes of the elite and tag the walls i came by as a yeah. sort of watch out i'm we're watching you and then that just came to me and i was like oh this this is this could be a cool idea so that's why like it i changed the characters like sort of uh, and turn them into uh, graffiti artists if that makes sense yeah, yeah. completely and it, it, again it sets the tone perfectly and the kind of yeah the, the theme of the film perfectly and then subverts it an awful lot again that remains there we we continue to get the class battle the injustices but we've got a traditional horror there's there's <laughs> there's, there's scariness and and whatnot um obviously i'm aware we're limited on on time so i want to quickly jump right to the end because the choice of everybody wants to rule the world by the end credits at first jumped out to me because it felt a tonal sh shift from the mm. the music th thus far and as i was watching and the lyrics start to come out it was like no this is the perfect fit this mm. is obviously this is what it's all about so was that in mind 
for a long time. Like, how did you come to to choose that? I originally had another track in my mind, which it was. I'm not going to tell you uh, tell you which track it. That's nope. it, but it was super expensive to get. But I'm very glad. You see, <laughs> limitations sometimes result in like better choices. So yeah, yeah. So we couldn't. We were like, okay, let's forget about that. So our uh, sort of music supervisor was like, go, like let's think of alternatives. And he kept sending me alts. And I was like, no, 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 no. And it suddenly hit me. I love that the track, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And the the moment I realized that, oh my God, this is it. I was listening to it. And I was like, ha, huh, isn't that funny that like everyone thinks this is such, this is only a pop song from the 80s. And, la, la, la. and people put it on at parties or in bars and like yeah. just sing along, but not realizing what the actual lyrics are about, which is about, something more serious and about like, you know, the desire for power and the misery it brings. And, mm-hmm. and you know, apparently, um, you know, it was banned from BBC during the first Gulf War and like, wow. uh, which I don't know if it's true or not, but like suddenly hit me that I came by for me. I'm trying to do a similar thing here with I Came By that the Tears for Fears did so amazingly with that track that on surface, they did like a pop song, but it had such a sort of like relevant and serious theme underneath. And I was like, I'm trying to do a thriller, which I really wanted to deliver as a thriller and it's entertaining and engaging. But there are these themes on on my mind that I want to explore about the institutions and how they fail us. And then suddenly it was like, this is it. This is the track. And and again, like so lucky and blessed that we we got it. And I think it's just perfect for the end credits of this film. We're going to have to have a discussion at some point off pod because I'm obsessed with those songs that seem to be one thing, and when you you, you dig into it, it's far darker. I've got a list of them because at some point I'm going to do a podcast episode Amazing. on them. Just going, look at this song. This is insane that we all sing this in the club. The most obvious one is, is "Sound of the Police" by KRS One. Yeah. Everyone in the club going whoop whoop, <laughs> and it's a song about the comparison between the police system and its re- relation to. The slave owners and 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 those who who ran the plantations and all this, yeah, everyone's that, that, yeah, enjoying the woop woop bit, yeah. and it's yeah, it's madness. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of music, then for horror and th- thrillers, the score mm. is absolutely crucial and a really underrated part, an overlooked part in a lot of film, anyway. Um, and I'm not just talking about the s- song syncs, the score itself, and you got this one from. Um, Isabel Wallabridge, yeah. who's man, that's a talented f- 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 family, and she did Fleabag, yeah. but also just Emma, The Phantom of the Open, b- b- Black Mirror, all sorts of other stuff. How was it to to get to that part? Because again, as I said, with horrors and thrillers, it's s- such a key part to m- making what you got on the day into what you had in your head, if you know what I mean, or what you wanted in the scripts. So how was that part of the of the it, process for it, you? It was, I'm so glad you're bringing wonderful Isabel's music into conversation because she did such a brilliant job. So I met Isabel Waller-Bridge right around the time Under the Shadow was released or mm-hmm. just after. And, and she was like really lovely. She was like, I love your film. I want to work with you. Uh, let's figure this out. And so then flash forward, I came by happen and so I, I I went to Isabel and I was like, I have this project. Um, you know, uh, uh it, it was it was even before he got greenlit, and I was like, 
hopefully it's going to happen, <laughs> but I'm very excited to talk to you about this project. And I told her about like how it's like clash of different worlds. You know, you have these like young angsty sort of graffiti writers, and then you have like a member of elite who's like very posh and then, and then a more middle-class mother and like, you know, and, and I was like, I just, and it's very London, but we don't want to make postcard London. We want to be like on the ground looking at London. So, yeah. and she was, she read the script and she called me and she was like, I love the script. And it's just not about, you know, it, how it touches on family relationships and, and the, the, the more like sort of societal and political themes. And, and she, she said, I'm in. So then, then the journey started and I love how Isabel works. It's, she had many conversations with me and she kept saying that I just, uh, it was like almost like therapy. It was like, I just want to get into your head before I go away and start making the music. Yeah. So I was like, just like hours and hours of just me rambling while she was just staring at me. And it felt, sometimes I felt bad because it was like, uh, yeah, maybe like it's too much. Uh, but then I, she soaked it all up and then went and kind of went into her hole. And I think that's the way she works. And then after a number of weeks, she started like feeding me the tracks and I was like, is this the right direction? And it was bang on. I, I mean, took a, a number of conversations, but I, what I love about what she does is that like, she said, she's so talented. And again, I wanted someone who could think out of the box and take brave decisions. And um, and I love with the score of I Came By how, you know, it's part electronic, then part like slightly more conventional and classical. And then a lot of like drones and like yeah. sort of soundscapes. Um, and the way she just like dives in and out of that. And a funny thing, you know, Isabel, you know, I've done Fleabag. And obviously films like Emma, but I told her like, you know, um, what, what I love about Isabel is that even when she does period drama, the music for period drama, it doesn't sound like your standard period drama music. 100%. And that was, that's 100%. the thing that I love about her. And I think she did a wonderful job in this film. Yeah, I agree. I love that, that relationship. And again, I relate m- m- massively on the, on the rare occasions I'd kind of want a specific b- beat off Dan Lesac. Like m- most of the time he'd just send me a load of stuff. I'd be like... This is amazing, fantastic. But on the rare occasions I'd write something, it's like, I can't explain to you what this needs. You're the mu- a musical genius. Yes. Like, like if I could explain it, I'd make it, but you're the one that does it. And the same with Isabel. It, Isabel's the musical ge- a genius. It's like, you can get the tone and the idea across and then... Now you do your musical genius thing. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's your world. It's so hard to describe and put into words if you're not that person, if you know what I mean. That was the, it's so funny because even like I told uh, so many times I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I don't have the language and technical terms to use, but you know, the bit that goes, can we do it differently? And like, you know, like, <laughs> like it was just, but the fact that she, could immediately translate that into music. That was wonderful. Yeah. Again, re- relating so much and thinking when I was working on my solo record, we have another producer. I always remember sitting in a pub in East London and just making l- loads of noises exactly <laughs> like that kind of. I want something that kind of goes like, like this is like, all right, just keep talking. I'll try and take all this in and then I'll try and turn that into something. But yeah, it's a different language, isn't it? Well, I need to kind of start to wrap things up. So before I do, obviously you're writing, you're producing and you're directing. I want to know what's ahead because one of the things that's jumped out to me, again, it sounds as if I'm making this all about myself, but but I love finding connections. And I adore 
a, t- a TV. I watched thousands of hours of it, but I'm a film nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and and film is a different thing altogether. Obviously, you've you've come from TV essentially, and so far your projects as such have been have been film. TV's obviously changing a lot. Netflix yeah. are a prime uh, 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 responsible for a yeah. lot of that, for a lot of the wonder that can be done. So what are you looking ahead at? Are you tempted to go in the TV direction? Is film f- film? <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, what's the plan? Dude, I'm greedy <laughs> yeah. and I want to do it all. I definitely, I love films. Uh, you know, I grew up watching films. That's what I got into doing what I want. But like you said, so many exciting things are happening on the TV side as well. And like, 100%. Uh, the fact that like you, you can again, I'm always like uh, after like platforms or like mediums that you can be bolder and braver. And like the fact that now you can be even more bold on the TV side with the TV series. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I love that. You know, I want to I want to continue doing films and I want to have one foot in TV as well. And that's what I'm doing across our site and trying to juggle both. You know, obvi- the time is a, a thing, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, I might as well like keep at it and see, you know, now that I have the energy and drive and see where it leads me. But I have a number of projects both on the film, both on the film and TV side. But and also, you know, with this industry, going back to having a thick skin, you know, I, I, I'd go and do talks at like uh, my old film school or like other film schools sometimes. And that's one thing I keep telling people that tenacity is so key and having a thick skin in this industry is so key because a, at the start, you're going to get a lot of rejections. But even when mm-hmm. you're like doing it, it's not always like a smooth path. There's always challenges. There's always like uh, projects fall apart or you don't get to do it the way you want it or they don't, they don't get received well. So you need to sort of like keep at it and like accept, the, you know, have a thick skin and be tenacious. So I don't know why I jumped onto this, but I think it's an important message to get out there. For I think the- it 100% is, the key is remembering that this is what you do now. As said, when you make a film, you should put 100% into yeah. it, but you're also going to make more. If it doesn't work out how you wanted it to go, you'll yeah. learn from the, like, I'm sure there's stuff in I Came By that you couldn't have done if you hadn't l- learned from Wounds and yeah. from Monsterland and, and, and from Under the sh- Shadows. Right, I remember talking to the um this Safdie brothers about the fact that Uncut Gems was meant to be their first film. Yeah, that was their plan. It wouldn't have been the masterpiece it was yeah. if it was the, their first film. It was the fact that they made two other films along that way that are both amazing as well. Yeah, but it 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 made what would have been their first film so much better. So definitely, yeah, it's all that journey, isn't it? I guess. Oh, for sure, it is all about that journey, and I think. It's just key to keep that in mind, you know, and I think passion is a big part of it as well. Like, why else do we want to do this, yeah. you know, like if we're not passionate about it? So that that's basically it. So we'll see what comes next. Uh, hopefully it's another exciting project. <laughs> I can't wait to see what's next, sir. And thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Good to see you again. Yeah, exactly. I was <laughs> so glad. When, when I knew that I'm going to do this chat with you, I was so excited. I was telling everyone that, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's not going to remember me, but I was there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, man. It's been a thank pleasure. Thank you, mate. Cheers.
You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Babak and Vari. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so glad to have connected with that dude and to, yeah, to to, to have been fanboying out over someone and then finding out that they're not only aware of my stuff, but they've filmed my stuff before. (laughs) Absolute madness. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week. I never tell you who's on, but next week, as this is the end of the Friday episode, so it's only going to be hardcore who are hearing this, next week I'm joined by Charlie Cooper, a.k.a. Curtin, from uh, from this country. I'm a big fan. You're going to enjoy that. And I'm going to give you two episodes next week as well. You, you know what? You deserve it. You deserve it. So two episodes again next week. I'll see you then. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.